you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them please to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew? As we read a story about our Lord and Savior with children. Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 13 through verse 15. And Matthew records this story. Then were there brought unto Jesus little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked the children. But Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus laid his hands on them, and later he would leave. In Jesus' day, it was common for Jewish parents to bring their small children to the synagogue, that they could be blessed by a great rabbi or the local pastor. In our text, some Jewish parents have indeed done just that. They have brought their children to the synagogue because they've heard that Jesus, a great teacher, a great rabbi, maybe more, they don't really know, is there. And they want him to bless their children. But the story tells us that when the Jewish parents bring their children to Jesus, the disciples of all people, the followers of Christ, They rebuke this. They rebuke the parents for bringing them. They rebuke the children for being there. Now let me tell you what that word rebuke means. It's an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word that means to scold, to fuss at, and then to run off. It pictures an angry man shooing chickens. It pictures an aggravated man running off past. The word rebuke means to get rid of something that's annoying to you. It would be strange. Why would the disciples look at children as being annoying? Have you ever thought about that? Why did they do that? Why were they so angry and aggravated at the parents and the children coming to Jesus? Well, I think it's always good to sometimes understand that the disciples were just like you and I. Why do we get angry and annoyed at times when people show up at our house with a bunch of kids? I mean, maybe, just maybe, they were hot and tired and hungry. They put in 16 hours already. And they're watching, they're watching, saying, oh no. Another ministry, another hour, we're so tired, we're so hungry. Let's just do this tomorrow. Maybe the parents that were bringing these children were pushing and shoving, as parents can do. Maybe they were arguing and fussing to one another who's going to be first in line, or where the line is, and how the line should be formed. Maybe the parents were the problem. 
Maybe the kids were the problem. Maybe they were crying and tussling and fighting and running. Who knows what they were doing? A long day, an unruly crowd, wild kids. Maybe the disciples had it up to here. They just wanted to go home and have some, a meal and go to bed. Whatever the reason, the disciples, the disciples see the children as a burden, not a blessing. And they tell the parents, they tell the children to leave Jesus alone and go away. Now, would you do that? Would I do that? I don't know. But they did that. I wonder if they, after they tried to do that, remembered Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's interesting that Jesus steps in. He dismisses the disciples. He's angry and annoyed at them. And he invites the children to come. Now, what can we learn from this simple story? It is a pretty simple story, but I think there's some things we need to learn tonight from it. The first thing I want us to learn is a lesson on responsibility. A lesson on responsibility. Let me read you what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7 says. The word of God that would have been known certainly to Jesus, but would have been known to the disciples and the parents of that day. It says, You shall love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach your children diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And then Paul comes back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And he says, Fathers, mothers, parents, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We're talking about a, a lesson on responsibility. And I want you to look up here at me. Bringing children into the world is a responsibility. It is a serious, a somber responsibility. To bring a child into the world and then to ignore it, neglect it, dump it on someone else to raise, to abandon it or to abuse it is a great sin against God that will bring a great judgment. Let me say that again so you make sure you hear this. To bring a child into this world and then to ignore that child, neglect that child, dump that child's raising on someone else, abandon that child or abuse that child is a serious offense, one that will bring with it great judgment one day. Jesus said, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were put around his neck 
and he were dropped into the ocean to drown. That's the words of Jesus. Now I understand he's talking about spiritual things. But I believe it can carry over likewise to physical and social things. The greatest plight on our nation is not that we have illegitimate children, it's that we have illegitimate parents who bring these children into the world and immediately dump them on the government or on grandparents to take care of. One day they're going to answer for that. As parents, as grandparents, when God blesses us with a child, a grandchild, we have a threefold responsibility, duty, if you will, to that child. First of all, we're to evangelize that child. We're to teach that child with our lips and with our life that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and how they can know Him in a real and personal way. That's the parents' and the grandparents' responsibility to tell their child about Jesus. Not only to evangelize our children and our grandchildren, but to educate them. To teach them not only the things of this world, but of the world to come. At best, they're only going to spend 80 or 90 years here. They're going to spend all eternity somewhere else. So we must educate them. Some of us do very good with reading, writing, and arithmetic, but we do very poorly with the things of God. It's the job, the responsibility, the duty of parents and grandparents to teach our children that the Bible is the Word of God. Jesus is the Son of God. The church is God's house of worship. Prayer is our way of talking to God. Reading the Bible is His way of talking to us. And the Ten Commandments are a good place to learn how to live. We need to teach that. That's called nurturing. The educating of our children in the things of God. We're to evangelize our children. We tell them how to be saved, how to know Jesus in a real and personal way. How to have their sins forgiven, how to go to heaven. We educate them on the Bible, the Word of God, on Jesus, the Son of God, on the church, the house of God, on prayer and scripture reading, the way that you have a relationship with God. And then we encourage them. We encourage them to give their life to Jesus. Not just information and facts, but we encourage them to, to respond to the information and facts and to give their life to Jesus, and to go to church, and to live holy lives, and to respect authority wherever that authority is. One of the problems sometimes, parents and grandparents, is we teach the facts, but we don't teach how to respond to the facts. We teach the history, but we don't teach how they're supposed to respond to the history. What does the history mean to them? That's why application is so important. Parents and grandparents, we evangelize, we educate, we encourage. And that encouragement is called admonition, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Paul said. Education, encouragement, that leads to evangelism and salvation. 
You know children are smart. You all know that? They can spot hypocrites. People who say one thing and do another. They can know our priorities. We can try to hide our priorities, but they know priorities. They know what's important to us and what's not important to us. They know where we spend our time. We know, they know where we spend our money. They know what we work for or towards. And do you know what? What they see and what they hear and what they experience, they eventually model. My child's a monster. Well, why is he a monster? (laughs) Did he see you being a monster? You see, children learn by watching, listening, and experiencing us. Somebody asked the little boy, why did he love Jesus? And he said, because mom and daddy love Jesus. I guess it runs in the family. (laughs) You see, we have a lesson on responsibility. Jesus is teaching here. We're to educate, we're to encourage. That's the nurture and the admonition that Paul spoke of. And we're to evangelize that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy. We're to tell them about Jesus. But there's also another lesson I want us to learn tonight, and it's called a lesson on redemption. Look at verse 14. Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come to me. Now he's rebuking the disciples who said, Indeed, they can't come. Go away. Kind of think of the Wizard of Oz when Oz was telling Dorothy and them, Go away, go away. That's what the disciples were doing. But Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, Listen, you don't tell them to go away. I'm telling them to come. An invitation he was given to them. Because he says, Well, such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is inviting the children to come. He's giving them an invitation. The disciples are saying, You can't come. Jesus says, You can. Come. And this invitation, I think, is implying the fact that they need a Savior. And he's telling them to come to himself who is the Savior. Do you know that children are sinners? Do you? Psalm 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are sinful from the womb. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Isaiah 48, 8 says a child is a transgressor from the womb. Romans 3, 23 says all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When a child is, when you talk about a child needing to be saved, there's often a question that follows that, is there not? And the question is, At what age is a child accountable for his or her salvation? Pastor, if you're telling me that my child, my baby, my my little boy, my little girl, if you're telling me that they're sinners who need a Savior, at what age do they need 
to understand this and ask Jesus into their life? When are they accountable for themselves? Well, let me give you a few pointers that might help you. There is no set age. You say, but the Bible says there's a set. No, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't give a set age. Traditionally, it's 12. But biblically, there is no set age. A child becomes accountable unto salvation when that child understands the concept of sin. Did you catch that? The child becomes accountable for his or her sin when that child reaches a point mentally, emotionally, and spiritually that they understand the concept of sin. What is right and what is wrong. Now, we as parents mean well, but you know where we emphasize our teaching to the child? Trust in Jesus. May I say this to you and listen to your pastor? Children will trust in anything. You could say trust in the Easter Bunny, and they'll trust in the Easter Bunny. You can say trust in Santa Claus, they'll trust in Santa Claus. The issue with the child is not will the child trust in Jesus. Children will trust in anything. The issue is, they have sinned against Jesus. When they can understand that concept, that I have sinned against Jesus, I have sinned against the Savior, I've sinned against the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, they become accountable for themselves. And I really believe they can genuinely be saved at that point. Now, this age of understanding, where a child develops this concept that I have sinned against the Lord, and therefore I need a Savior. This age can vary, as I told you earlier. If a child is brought up in a Christian family, if a child is brought up in a Christian church, it could be six years old when that all of a sudden becomes a truth to that child. If a child is not brought up in a church, a Christian home, if that child is not brought up in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, that, that age could be 10, 11, or even 12 years old before that concept of accountability goes into a child's mind. If the child is, has mental disabilities, that child may never come to an understanding of that. Our responsibility is not to worry about the age. Our responsibility is to evangelize and to educate and, and to encourage no matter where the child is chronologically. And let God sort it all out. Now you might be asking this question, Pastor what happens to children who are mentally unable to understand these concepts of sin, right from wrong? What happens to the coastal center children where there's many who are disabled? What happens to children 
who die as babies, who die from accidents, who die from violence, who die from sickness, who die from war. What happens to babies who are miscarried? What happens to babies who are aborted? What happens to them? They're not saved. They're safe in Jesus. There's a difference in being safe and being saved. Saved is when you reach an age that you understand the concept of sin and now you have to make your own choice what you're going to do with Jesus. But children who never get to that point, they're safe in Jesus. They're covered under the atoning work of Christ on that cross. How do I know that? Because in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, David, speaking of his son who died as an infant, said, I'll see him one day in heaven. He can't come back to me, but I can go to him. And then Paul explained it in the book of Romans with grace. The grace of God covers these children they're safe in the arms of Jesus, you might say, until that age comes, if it ever comes. So there's a lesson here on responsibility of parents. You and I evangelize, educate, encourage. There's a lesson here on redemption. Children are to be allowed to come to Jesus. But it's not about trusting Jesus it's about recognizing that they have sinned against Jesus. And as sinners, they need a Savior. And they're encouraged to bring their sins to His salvation. And let God deal with it. And if they never reach that point in their life, that's okay. They're covered under the blood. They're not saved, but they're safe and they're okay. And then lastly, there's a lesson on the Redeemer, if you will. Not only on responsibility, not only on redemption, but let's close out by seeing there's a lesson on the Redeemer. In these verses, we really see the heart of Jesus, don't we? If the disciples are tired, don't you think he's tired? If the disciples are hungry, don't you think he's hungry? If the disciples are ready to leave and go to bed, don't you think Jesus in his humanity is likewise? If the parents are pushy and they annoy the disciples, don't you think they annoy Jesus? If the children are a little rowdy and they're getting on the disciples' nerves, maybe they're getting on Jesus' nerves too. Because remember, he was in the flesh. He was just like us. But you know something? His heart overrode his tiredness, his hunger, his annoyances, his aggravations, even his anger. Because I believe here we really see the heart of Jesus. We see that he loves people. And he always had time for people. There's not one place you'll ever go in that Bible where Jesus says, go away. Shh, shh, shh. To 
tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. He always made time for people. He always made time for children. You see, Jesus cares about everybody. We may not, but he does. He cares about the big shots and the little shots, the haves and the have-nots, the rich and famous and the poor and insignificant. He cares about the up-and-inners and the down-and-outers. He cares about the Gentiles. He cares about the Jews. He cares about old people. He cares about young people. He cares about people who are nice-looking and people who are not so nice-looking. He cares about people who've got their act together, and he cares about people who haven't got anything together. They're falling apart. He cares about people. And here we see the heart of Jesus. Let him come. The hour's late, we're tired, we're hungry, we're ready to go home. But we got time, let him come. Let him come. And not only do we see his heart, but we also see his hands. Notice the Bible says in verse 15 that he does what with the children when they come? He puts his hand on them. He touches them, touches a sign of affection. It's a sign of affirmation. It's a sign that you're important. And Jesus says, you're important to me. You're significant. I love you. I care about you. And he touches the child. I wonder if those children that day always remembered that. That this rabbi who would later reveal himself as the son of the living God, put his hand on them. He touched them and he blessed them. I believe that the deepest and hottest parts of hell, ladies and gentlemen, are reserved for those who hurt children. Jesus took those hands and he loved those little boys and girls. But we live in a world where people take their hands and slap them little kids. They abuse them. They mistreat them. And oh, be to God on their judgment day when they face him. I would hate to be an abortionist and stand one day before Jesus knowing that I have burned babies and chopped babies and poisoned babies because I wanted to make money off them. I would hate to be a pornographer one day and stand before Jesus, knowing good and well that I put children out for leeches and perverts to satisfy themselves with children. I would hate to be a pedophile and stand before Jesus one day knowing that I have done unseemly things, horrible things to little boys and girls. I would hate to be an abuser one day and stand before Jesus knowing that I've taken my fist and I've beat my kids with my fist. Not in discipline, but in rage and in hatred of them. Jesus loves the little children. And he took time for them. He showed his heart to them. He touched them with his hands. What a story.
says so much, yet it says so little. A lesson on responsibility, a lesson on redemption, and a lesson on the Redeemer. Heard the story in closing about a mother who was out of town attending a mother's meeting where mothers came together and they talked about mothering and parenting and their children. And in that meeting, there were many ideas, there were many opinions, there were many thoughts given. And the lady who was visiting just listened. She didn't say anything. And finally, one of the women said, Well, listen, you haven't said anything. What's your thoughts about all this? And this is what the visiting mother said. Are you listening? I quote, she said, I began influencing my daughter to toward Jesus 20 years before she was born. 20 years before she ever came on the scene. I began to influence her toward the Lord. And then she said, that's when I got saved. I started going to church. And I started praying for her, even though I didn't even know who she was. Wow. Bringing your children to Jesus, and they're not even here yet. That one day when they are here, they'll bring themselves to Jesus. Wow. Heads are bowed.